0: Episode number 14 of MMA on the Rocks is something a little bit different. It's actually a swap cast with my pal Sebastian from Punching Panda Podcast. We'll pick up the action with Sebastian talking about his inspiration for inviting me on his show. And we'll also give your regularly scheduled disclaimer. Cheers. The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show.
1: Upon hearing the news, I went to the beach, and I looked into the horizon. I stood on the sand, regretting some Chinese food I had earlier, and I saw the seagulls diving into the kelp bed for fish. I saw the otters just swimming around, and then I saw a pod, a pod of dolphins jumping in and out of the water, and I said to myself, I need a pod, a two-person pod. And so I went to the jungles of Uganda. I went to the Himalayas. I even went to space. I went to the moon. And when my my capsule crashed into the ocean and NASA took me ashore, I realized that I was searching in all the wrong places. I needed to search the internet. And I did. And I found the best co-host. The only guy who can handle this job. The only guy who can fit the big shoes. Of Mo Young, I am talking about Mr. MMA on the Rocks himself, the host of MMA on the Rocks, Bill. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Sebastian. And uh, this is a really interesting and unique scenario. And uh, I appreciate all the soul searching you did to find me. You could have easily <laughs> yeah. gotten as much inspiration going to a bodega for a six pack, <laughs> but um, uh, I probably should. <laughs> this is actually. I would have been really drunk the same <laughs> Well, I usually am, so we would have been on the same page. Um, no, but this is awesome. I appreciate you reaching out, and I think this is going to be a lot of fun. This is actually a really unique situation because you and I have never spoken before right now. Correct. So we've had some yeah. interaction on Twitter, but beyond that, this is going to be, you know, completely new, probably unprecedented. I'd say in the podcast world, never, yeah. never before attempted. But you're seeing it break right here, <laughs> right now, on Punching Panda podcast and MMA on the Rocks Swapcast Joint Cast, whatever you want to call. It. Maybe not a Joint Cast because we're not smoking. We're just
1: the Swapcast. I like it. It's like a Freaky Friday, or I don't know, a crossover. Yeah, let's episode. go with Let's go with Swapcast because
0: Joint Cast is a little. Bob Marley-esque.
1: Okay, (laughs) so this is the official Swapcast Punching Panda MMA on the Rocks. The Mega Powers have united. So, Bill, there's been a lot going on in MMA, obviously, recently, but before we get into that, what are you drinking? I know you always like to tell people what you're drinking, and you like to ask them what they're drinking, but... I want to know what you're
0: Oh, well, thank you for asking. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's Friday night, and nothing goes hand-in-hand with Friday night like a nice cold beer. Um, So even though we're on the rocks, I am a big beer drinker. And uh, so what I'm drinking now is leftover from episode 13 of MMA on the Rocks, which I talked about my trip up to Burlington, Vermont, and I visited the Switchback Brewery. Mm -hmm, Yes. So I brought back a couple of six-packs from there. And uh, awesome brewery. Great time. Dog friendly. They let me bring my dog in. She sat at the bar. Uh, It was a good time. So on the last podcast, I was drinking their extra pale ale. And right now I'm drinking their Oktoberfest, which is a German style Oktoberfest. It's really nice and light and it's really hitting the spot after a long work week.
1: No, I can imagine. It just sounds delicious the way that you describe it. Right now, I have in my fridge, because unfortunately I don't have anything cracked open right now, but I do have some s'mores porter. So fall is here, and I feel like singing a Jack White song. (laughs) We're going to be friends. But, yeah, s'mores porter. We have some pumpkin pancake cider coming out from uh, Woodchuck. Interesting. Uh, So, yeah, I love all the sweet beers. I love all the fall beers. I love to just be kicked in the nuts with dark chocolate flavors and stouts. So, my favorite season is upon us and good drinks will soon be in my belly. Yeah,
0: I got it. I hate to admit I'm a big fan of the pumpkin flavors too. I'm just like a basic white
1: bitch. Uh, <laughs> what about the pumpkin latte? I actually made uh one day pumpkin fried pumpkin spice fried chicken for some of my coworkers. That sounds
0: delicious. And I I can't lie it either. Works. I'm I'm a fan of the pumpkin latte. So, you know, you I, I think I'm one step away from wearing yoga pants and Uggs.
1: You are pretty close, man. Do you listen to Taylor <laughs> Swift?
0: <laughs> oh, fuck! You caught me on that too. Uh-huh. No, I, I don't. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing against her, but you know, yes. not my, not my cup of tea. Not my pumpkin
1: latte. She's not your pumpkin latte. Hey, man, yeah. that makes sense. Everybody has their own style of doing things, and let's talk about a guy who. Does his things his own way. He has his own style. We're talking about Chell Sonnen. Yeah. So Chel Sonnen, for those who do not know, just signed a multi-fight deal with Bellator MMA. Chell Sonnen, former UFC uh, fighter. Now he's going to Bellator. What do you think about all this? This pretty much came out of nowhere. We knew that Chell was doing USADA or WADA testing in the last few months after he was suspended. Uh, This is coming off the tail end of his suspension, his two year suspension. Uh, What do you think about all this? What's going on here?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. I think it's fantastic for the sport. I think that it's coming from kind of an unfortunate place. Now I know he wanted to throw his name back in the hat and that's why he submitted for the USADA testing, which is actually irrelevant for uh, fighting for Bellator because they don't use a, um, a third party drug testing agency. They rely heavily on the very inept uh, state athletic commissions for their testing, which is explains the, uh, the size of some of their fighters. Um, But Chael's coming from an unfortunate place. I mean, he did just lose a child, um, which, you know, devastating. There's no greater tragedy in the world than that. Uh, So he may be looking to get back into competing uh, sooner than he was planning. I do think he was planning to do this for a while, but I think he's jumping into it a little quicker than he initially planned, maybe to try and, and fill a void in his life that he might be feeling, and um, n- nothing can ever fill uh, fill that void. And I-, I can't blame him for doing anything it is he wants to do because there is no greater tragedy than a parent outliving their child. Um, so in-, in that regard, I definitely feel for Chael Sonnen. Uh, in-, in terms of what it does for the sport, I think it's fantastic. I think he is the perfect fit. Bellator, since they're owned by Viacom and they put so much money into their production and they got the flashing lights and the big stage, very WWE-esque, and he's he's a very WWE-esque fighter. I mean, he's taken his strategy for getting fights and for hyping fights, you know, ripped it right out of the WWE playbook, and he's done a fantastic job with it. I'd say the best ever, second only to Conor McGregor. Oh yeah. But that's just my opinion. What are your thoughts on it, Sebastian?
1: Well, Chael Sonnen, he's a very interesting character. hes uh, I'm, I'm sort of conflicted by this uh, in the sense that he has come back with really nothing to prove. I think that he, as far as MMA is concerned, he, we've seen the best of him. I don't think that this is going to be a renaissance for Chael Sonnen. I don't think this is going to be anything that you would necessarily see amazing Once the bell rings. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, he definitely fits very hand in hand with Bellator and their style and their WWE like, as you said, production. And I think he's a character. I think that as well, as far as the business is concerned, The business needs more people like Chael Sonnen, more people like Ben Henderson, more people like Roy McDonald, people who are not afraid to explore options outside of the UFC. The UFC is obviously the biggest MMA promotion in the world ever, and everyone wants to get in, but sometimes when you get in, you realize that the grass isn't as green as you thought it was, and it's always refreshing to see. Uh, people go to Bellator, 1FC, or WSOF, whether they're cut, whether they're doing a contract renegotiation, because that's the only way that the business as a whole is going to get better and be more entertaining when these fighters are dispersed. Uh, We saw that in pro wrestling in the late 90s, or excuse me, rather the mid 90s, where the WWF became a company that had so much talent that Ted Turner with WCW came in, which we're kind of seeing with Viacom now, and started taking these guys out. And so next thing you know, instead of everybody concentrated in just the WWF, as it was called at the time, you now have some of these guys in WCW, you now have some of these guys in WWF, and the battle, if you will, then becomes a bit more interesting, and the narrative becomes more interesting. So Chell Sonnen... 2017, Roy McDonald 2017. It's what the sport needs. It's what the business needs. It's what the fighters need. So Chel is taking the right step. Um, you mentioned the drug testing. And it's very interesting that Chel Sonnen decided to go to Bellator because, yeah, they don't use USADA. They don't use WADA. They mm-hmm. use the state athletic commissions. And this is the same company that had the Kimball, Slice, and Dada fight. Dada had two heart attacks in the cage. Kimball Slice looked like he shouldn't have been in there. And shortly thereafter, Kimball Slice wound up passing. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to say that it's the wild, wild west of MMA in Bellator, because it isn't. But I do feel as though Bellator is purposely behind the curve for people like Kimball Slice, for Dada, for Chelsea, and for Ken Shamrock. Those guys who damn sure won't pass a USADA water test. I mean, some of these guys, if they pee into a cup, they'll blow up the world. Bobby Lashley. Yeah, Bobby Lashley, you know, a whole slew of guys. Uh, LeVar Johnson, when he was there, before yep. he started doing his uh, bid in Sing Sing, or wherever he is for punching sure. out his wife. Uh, so, yeah, I think Chel going to have a very interesting run a uh, very questionable run, hopefully not as a controversial run as he did in the last run in the UFC, because it became more about the drugs versus the actual fighting. And when you have a guy like that, uh, who's constantly putting the promotion in a position like John Jones has due to outside activity, it's a very interesting investment.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think you made a lot of great points, Sebastian. And, Chael Sonnen was actually one of the first guys who, if not the first guy, who was tested under the new drug testing policy. And I've heard him talking about it in detail, where he was training in Vegas and he had a guy show up with no identification, basically pulled him into a closet in the MGM, uh, stuck a needle in him to draw blood, uh, made him strip down naked, Uh, which is not uncommon in Las Vegas for someone to pull you into a janitor's closet and demand these sort of things for you and stick needles into you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas, but this is a very common occurrence. But uh, for a professional athlete and someone who is training for a combat sport, this is something that's very concerning and he didn't know what to do. And he just went along with it because he didn't know any better. And that was kind of his defense. Understandable. Now, someone who did not go along with it was Vanderlei Silva, who was tested shortly after that. They were actually supposed to fight each other, and Vanderlei didn't know what the fuck was going on. As you and I both know, his English is not the greatest, so something was lost in communication. So this guy wants to pull this uh, Brazilian maniac into a closet and strip him naked and stick needles in him. (laughs) Of course, Vanderlei was like, get the fuck out of here with that noise, Uh, and, and he took off running, and then... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's when Vanderly parted ways with the sport and, uh, and went a little rogue and, and posted that dramatic video of announcing his retirement and putting the UFC on blast and all that. Yeah,
1: and he tried to do a promotion at Dave and Buster's that the UFC uh, wound up canceling. He wanted to do a uh, Dave and Buster's host party. My understanding of the USADA and WADA testing is if you fail, excuse me, if you uh, refuse to take the test or you decide to leave, or whatever it may be, is automatically counted as a failure. So Vanderlei Silva literally, literally running out of his gym. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say of that. I mean, the guy's been in the business for a very long time. It wasn't his first drug test. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's familiar with the process, which is why I kind of have a little doubt as to, You know, his side of the story. I feel like Vanderlei, you've had over 40 fights. You know what's going on. You know what time it is. And I think he knows what he was doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that. And I think it should be considered a guilty plea. But one, the USADA guy has to show identification. And this is what, you know, Chael said, you know, and he submitted to the test. But he, he said that he didn't show identification. He knows Vanderlei went through the same thing. Two, if it's going to be a guilty plea, fine, that's all well and good, but here's where the bureaucracy of USADA comes in. They gave Vanderlei a lifetime ban. Now, if you test positive and you get suspended, that should be a two-year suspension, even if they get them for steroids or, uh, you know, Clomophil or clomalid or whatever the fuck John Jones got tested for and Brock Lesnar, two-year suspension, lifetime ban. Like, where, where are they coming up with... The standards for these things, and and how is this being regulated? Because it seems like you know we're going to do whatever we want, and we're going to test you wherever we want. We're not going to show any identification, and fuck you, pay us a lot of money, and and this is how it's going to go.
1: Yeah, it kind of sounds like the Gestapo when you think about it. They just <laughs> kick in the doors, come in, and start demanding stuff. It's like the uh, opening scene of uh, what's that movie called? The Hitler movie that came out. Uh, uh, something fairy or I can't remember. I don't know. The the movie buffs of this podcast audience will know exactly what I'm saying, and they'll start yelling it out right now. And yeah, I'm sorry, this isn't Jeopardy. You're not I, winning any. And
0: they'll razz us on yes. Twitter. But I don't remember. Yeah, no either. razz. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, yeah. I mean, and Uh, like I said, him and Bellator should be really interesting. I believe Bellator is going to. Put the money in Chelsea and pretty much tell him, hey, listen, if you want to go out there and start cutting wrestling like promos, you want to be Superstar Billy Graham, go ahead and do it. You want to come out there with an elaborate entrance and fireworks and all this other stuff, go ahead and do it. So, yeah, I'm really excited for 2017 for Bellator. They've always kept it interesting. That's one thing about Scott Coker, he always keeps it interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Scott Coker is a professional, he knows how to build a brand. That's what he does. He's been doing it forever. You, you know, he did it with kickboxing. He did it with strike force. And, you know, he's he's good at setting up empires. And I agree with you. I think Chael is going to be great for the sport. He's going to be a great fit for Bellator. I don't uh, agree so much that that's the case for Rory McDonald. I don't think he's the greatest fit for Bellator. I mean, especially with the, the big deal they made about him coming over. You know, coming off of two losses and his face... The structure of his face is questionable, and he's not going to fight until summer of 2017, and it's not like he's the greatest at hyping fights because he's got the personality of, like, um, you know, a wet mop. I was going to use something a little bit more grotesque. I think <laughs> I think uh, the analogies in my head of, of forcing a guy into a closet and making him strip down are are kind of clouding my judgment a little bit. So I was going to say he has the personality of a limp dick, but any off chance that he ever hears this, <laughs> I don't want Rory McDonald coming to look for me because he does have a lot of serial killer type tendencies. But um, yeah. I don't feel like he fits the mold for Bellator, and I don't feel like he fits into you know what they're trying to do uh, until you know he's able to get into the cage and put on an exciting fight, which he undoubtedly will do.
1: It's funny that you mentioned that, because um, that's, you know, it's funny, because that's one aspect I never really thought of. I always thought about the people who don't fit into Bellator as far as talent is concerned. I feel sure. as though they're washed up. People like LeVar Johnson, Matt Matreon, Czech Congo. I feel like these guys are just trying to collect a check after the UFC doesn't want them. And there's really no bites at a high end from WSOF, 1FC, etc., etc. if there's any bites at all. mm mm-hmm. uh, so I feel like for those guys, it's just Bellator just wants someone with name value, regardless of whether they're a draw or not, just someone with name value to fill their cards. But when I actually start thinking of a cultural fit, Roy McDonald, uh, and the Bellator business model and business plan, that's in sync. Uh, when you start thinking about walking that fine line and being a good company man, that's all fine. But yeah, when we start talking about the entertainment aspect and what Bellator has been doing and what Strike Force has been doing, because, again, it's under Scott Croker, and if you look at it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's pretty much the same formula. It was success, a successful formula. But, yeah, Roy is a very serious fighter. He's the Lance Storm of that division, mm-hmm. and it will be really interesting to see if Roy... Uh, actually puts on some exciting fights, which I think he can because Bellator will purposely set up squash matches for him, give him some tomato cans, give him some jobbers so Roy can really showcase himself and hopefully build to a fight against another exciting fighter like someone like Michael Page.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I agree with you. And they have plenty of those tomato cans uh, stacked up and ready to go. And uh, I do feel like that uh, Roy McDonald is a draw, but only to the hardcore fans. Um, to the casual fan, nobody knows who the fuck he is. I mean, here's a guy who fought for the welterweight title and he's fought in main events and, and this and that. You ask the casual fan who knows Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, you know, it can rattle off 10 other names maybe. Rory McDonald is not even in the top 100 in that list of names. So Rory is a guy who's going to be a draw to bring some of the hardcore fans over to Bellator and see, like, okay, they're actually putting on legit fights here. It's not just a circus with fucking Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie getting in there at 65 years old, like, fighting for their Social Security check. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Rory's a draw in that way, but as far as fitting into... What Bellator is trying to do, I don't really see it, but I, I'm excited for some of those matchups down the line as well. But he's not even eligible to fight until at least the summer of 2017 for medical
1: reasons. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what Roy McDonald's doing. Uh, hopefully, he fits. Let's talk about a guy who people say doesn't fit the UFC, shouldn't be in the UFC. Some people believe he shouldn't even be in MMA, and we're talking about. The cult of personality himself, CM Punk. So we already know (laughs) CM Punk tapped out by a brown belt in the first round at UFC 203. That's been covered. Sure. What a lot of people don't know, and what just came out recently, is how much he got paid. The disclosed amount from the commission, $500,000. Now this isn't counting pay-per-view buys. This isn't counting the cut of the gate. This isn't counting any merchandise deal he may have had. This isn't counting anything else other than the announced pay from the UFC. $500,000. What do you think about this whole CM Punk thing in the UFC after the loss? Do you think that it should continue? Do you think it should stop? Do you think CM Punk needs to go to Bellator or hit the regionals? What's your thoughts on everything, Bill, as it relates to CM Punk and this payout?
0: Yeah, so there's two sides of my brain that that kind of analyze the situation. Uh, The MMA purist side of my brain says this guy doesn't deserve to clean up the octagon, like clean the blood off of it, which most of it was his, after the event was over. Uh, The business-minded side of my brain says definitely bring this guy back uh, for another fight. Obviously... They tried to give him a chance. They put him against a virtually unknown fighter who only had two professional wins, one of them in the UFC. So it's not like they gave him to a known killer. Now, Mickey Gall may be a killer. He may not be. We haven't seen enough to know. In fact, the guy he beat, Mike Jackson, in his UFC debut, that guy had no business being in the UFC either. Because he was 0-1 as an amateur and all of a sudden he's in the UFC to set up Mickey Gall to call, up, call out CM Punk. Um, but from a business perspective, you have to keep this guy at least for one more fight, in my opinion. He did sign a three-fight contract, so you can make him fight again. He is willing to fight again. Uh, my recommendation, if I were running the UFC, especially if I were in charge of the Fight Pass platform that they're trying to build, stick him on the prelims of, an, of some pay-per-view In the near future, not the very near future, maybe like January, February timeframe, and use his name to build up your Fight Pass platform. If he gets his ass kicked again, like, who cares? And if he does well, then you've got a real money-making draw who you can put back into a main card or at least like a Fox prelim, something like that. So... uh, I'm torn. I don't care what they do with him either way. If they cut him, you know, no skin off my nuts. But if they keep him around from a business perspective, that's what I would do with him personally.
1: Oh, yeah. The funny thing about CM Punk is, so we talk about draws in MMA. Uh, especially So in the sport as a whole, there's really not a lot of draws. In basketball, and football, you can point to teams or certain athletes. And you can say, hey, these people are draws. When you think of MMA as a whole, so UFC, Bellator, 1FC, just everything, there's not really a lot of people that you can point to and say, this person brings them in. And when we start taking a look at CM Punk, and we look at the buy rate, what was it, 650000 or so? Yep. This positions Punk as one of UFC's top draws. Because let's be honest here, is a good fighter. A lot of pro wrestling fans were interested to see Punk fight. And yeah. so when we start taking a look at draws, we're looking at number one, Conor McGregor. Yep. Number two, Ronda Rousey. Number three, could be John Jones or Lesnar. The, you know, the debate is however you want to split that. Yep. And then the fourth would be, in this case, CM Punk. So I think that what you mentioned about Fight Pass, because some people think CM Punk should get cut. I think CM Punk did a better job than James Tony. He did a better job than Jose Canseco. Sure. He's done a better job than a lot of these other guys who just come in. Uh, he actually trained. People forget. He, this guy's been training for like two years. Yeah. He actually came back from a shoulder surgery and everything. Yeah. I mean, but
0: what's two years of training compared to a professional who has set their mind out to do this? I mean... Brock Lesnar was definitely the exception, not the rule, especially since he had a competitive background, NCAA champion, everything like that. Um, so two years of training. I mean, the guy is probably by now a blue belt in jujitsu at best, which is still pretty much beginner level. Uh, really, no no business being in the UFC, but you know, I understand it from from a business perspective for sure. Because he is bringing in, and I actually shudder to think how many pay-per-view buys this would do without him on that card. Considering it was the fucking heavyweight championship of the world to determine the best heavyweight fighter on the planet. It would not have done very well pay-per-view buys without CM Punk on that card, unfortunately.
1: Correct. Yeah, I think it would have done about 350,000 buys. Uh, I really do like your idea of, because again, we think about, okay, well, what's next? What's... Part two. Obviously, you can't put CM Punk in the main event. You can't put him in the co-main event. He's been exposed. People know his skill level. It's one of these things where you know that you're really just buying the name, buying the personality. You're not buying the skills because they're not there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I really like your idea of putting him on the prelims, putting him on that fight pass card where people who say, oh, I want to see CM Punk. They actually buy fight pass. Yeah. where they become a bit more curious. And UFC can use that week or that month to start doing exclusive programmings and insider, uh, you know, behind the scenes with fighters that they mm-hmm. haven't really done before to really help expose the product to people who may be trying it out for the first time for that month or whatever it may be. And also, as you can see in the prelims for any of these tapings and the uh, Fox Sports 1 cards and things like that, Obviously, pe- more people start coming in as it gets closer to the main event. So you put CM Punk in at the start of the night; people are already going to be there. You're going to have more eyes in that arena focused on the undercard because a lot of these undercards guys don't really get all the eyeballs. They don't get all that attention, and so I think that would be really interesting in uh, helping the business model and also uh, letting some of the hardcores say cool off a little bit and say, okay. CM Punk is here, he's here for business, we get it, but he's not messing with the pure sport of MMA that we love. He's not walking into church with mud on his shoes. So he yeah. can find. He's finding the prelims.
0: Yeah, and to that, you know, the people who are upset about it, I say... You know, like, the guy wants to go in there and, and get the shit beat out of him. Like, who are you to say, like, he can't do that, he's not good enough. It's like, well, he's going to go in there and get destroyed. Like, what do you care if this guy gets punched in the face for 15 minutes? Uh, I mean, does it does it really interrupt your life that much? And, and yeah, to your point, um, I, I would absolutely use this as a way to elevate fight pass. I mean, we know how these WWE fans like to just piss away money so you'll get at least a few hundred or maybe a few thousand of them to subscribe to Fight Pass throw some exclusive content on there get them hooked use the drug dealer model you know give them a little taste for free here and there and then you know the next thing they're blowing a homeless guy behind a dumpster to get their fix uh, so yeah, Dana you know, White
1: can be the pusher
0: Yeah, so to speak <laughs> yeah, so but to speak. yeah I think it's it's definitely a good business opportunity for the UFC here
1: Are you looking forward to seeing CM Punk fight again?
0: I mean, I I look forward to fights. So if you tell me any two people are going to fight, I'll look at it and start analyzing it and, and picking it apart. And then I'll look forward to watching it. Um, you you know, I look forward to watching the undercards of UFC, even if I don't know who the fighters are. That actually makes it more interesting to me because you never know what you're gonna see. You might see some guy come in with something that that's never been seen before. You know, if he's willing to get back in there, especially after what happened to him, if he's willing to dust himself off and get back in that cage, even though he probably knows for a fact now that he doesn't belong in there then power to him. Let him do it. it. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm not the one paying uh, for him to be in there. I'm not the one shelling out the 500 grand. So, you know, let him do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it will be very interesting to see what his next step is. Uh, because, again, obviously you and I both aren't fighters, but I think that if someone is going to take a career in MMA seriously, uh, obviously you don't just cut the check and run. You go back, you retool. And so if he's with Duke, uh, Duke Rufus and he wants to take the next seven or eight months just really retooling his game, really get him back in the gym and on the grind, and he's ready to do it again uh, come Super Bowl weekend, I think it will be a fun spectacle. I think he should really utilize his promo skills, his pro wrestling showmanship to build up the fight and keep it interesting. Because when you do that type of trash talk, it kind of uh, eliminates the past happenings. Uh, we saw that with Chel Sonnen. son Sonnen tapped out to Anderson Silva. Now, granted, Chell was dominating, but yeah. Chell lost that fight clean. And yeah. after he lost that fight, that's when the pro wrestler came out of him tenfold. And he became one of the top draws for the UFC. People were always talking about him. People wanted to see him, despite not really having an impressive fight record. Uh, so again, This is one of those interesting things where I always hear people say, and sometimes I joke about it myself, I say, well, MMA, more specifically the UFC, is doing pro wrestling better than pro wrestling. (laughs) At UFC 203, we saw CM Punk, we saw a guy cutting a big babyface promo, we saw uh, several heel turns, we saw sneaky foreigners do dirty underhanded things, uh, except for throwing salt in the eyes, rest in peace Mr. Fuji, and (laughs) we just saw a lot of shit where I was like, man, this is a pro wrestling show, oh my god, no wonder why it has 650,000 buys in it.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously the UFC has taken a lot of marketing notes from Vince McMahon. I mean, the guy has the perfect model for sports entertainment marketing. There's no debating that, and I can't fault the UFC for for taking some of those elements. Obviously, Bellator's taken a lot more of them. Um, Pride followed the same model, you know, with the with the gimmicks, and you know, they loved to see freak shows, bringing in guys like. Bob Sapp and and Takayama and like uh and, and things like that. So they loved the freak show, the big roided up American wrestlers, everything like that. Um so yeah, you can't blame the UFC for for taking pages out of the WWE's marketing playbook for sure.
1: Now it's funny because they are taking pages, but they won't take the whole book. So both Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor are Facing possible suspensions and fines for the biggest fight since Daniel Cormier and John Jones got into a shoving match uh-huh. at one of their press conferences. This time, no fisticuffs were thrown. Yeah. People weren't shoved. hmm It was pretty much a water gun fight without the water guns. It was just water bottles. This was at the 202 press conference. They were throwing water bottles at each other. First off, we haven't discussed this obviously. This is the first swap cast of all time <laughs> in MMA podcast history. Yeah. But let's say that. What did you, what did you think about just that whole interaction? What do you think about the aftermath and what do you just feel as though what is the fine line because I feel like it's a very nebulous area where yeah. we're talking about entertainment Versus professionalism. Now, obviously, if people show up and they're professional one hundred percent of the time, it's not necessarily entertaining. At some point in time, someone has to show their ass, whether intentionally or unintentionally. That water ball fight, or excuse me, that water bottle fight, in part, led to the high buy rate of the second go-around. It led to that $3 million payout for Conor McGregor, the $2 million payout for Nate Diaz. It's antics like that and it's situations like that that actually builds the fight, builds more intrigue. And people like Dana White and people within the UFC and WME, everybody gets paid more. So again, what do you think about the situation as it happened? And what do you think just as far as the dynamic is concerned with entertainment, versus 100%. Hey everyone, let's wear suits and let's be fucking professional.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh I, I don't I don't feed too much into that stuff. I watched it. It was entertaining, especially the part where, you know, Jake Shields picks up somebody's latte and embarrassingly tries to chuck it across the <laughs> across the venue. Um I do believe that it it was all staged and that they were told to do something like this because it seems like It was just too perfect. Nate Diaz walks out and then he's given the finger, you know, it's so dramatic. And then he's chucking water bottles. And then, you know, it's not like they were trying to get at each other and like because if they were really that pissed off at each other. They would have been just trying to fight on the stage and somebody would have to break it up. They would be getting in each other's faces. They wouldn't be chucking, you know, half full water bottles across the room. So I I do believe it was staged. I believe it caused, you know, some some interesting hype. Obviously, it went viral on social media and everything like that. And probably a few more people turned in and made a few extra bucks. Um, uh, Do do I really care? no. Because so
1: these type of antics don't do anything for you. They don't decide whether they don't get you more excited for a fight.
0: No, because I'm I'm tuning in either way. I want to I want to mm-hmm. s- see the fight. I'm I'm interested in it. Uh, do do I watch the press conferences and stuff like that? And and is it exciting when I see crazy shit? Yes, but I don't really have an opinion as to whether or not that's the way it should be. I don't think these guys need to be coming in dressed in suits and everything. Like if that's who they are and and they're being genuine, Like I I really believe that someone like George St. Pierre holds himself to that standard, and that's why he shows up in a suit, and that's great. But if someone like like John Jones wants to be like, I'm a fucking thug, I do drugs, I party, I bang bitches, I'm showing up in ripped jeans and a t-shirt to the press conference, then I don't care about that either. Uh, All I care about is what the guys do once the cage door closes and... And they start fighting. That's really what I care about at the end of the day, as cliche as it sounds.
1: No, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, one of the things about storytelling, because that's what these guys are doing They're whether they are purposely doing it, whether they are indirectly doing it, just in a consciousness of the world, we all tell stories at various levels of epicness, if you will. So we're talking about Lord of the Rings type of stories all the way to hey, I'm just going to, to the store to get a s'mores porter. Everyone has different type of stories to tell.
0: The latter is a better that, story, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, the latter <laughs> is a
1: better story and a more tastier, satisfactory ending. Absolutely. But, and, and that's what I'm saying. The At the end of the day, regardless of the story that's being told, it's all about the end result. So if you have all these antics and it leads up to a BS fight, that ending, that climax uh, takes away all the work that was done. Imagine watching Star Wars episode four and at the end fight with Darth Vader is just Obi-Wan showing up saying, Hey, can we just square this out? Or yeah, you know, it's no big deal. Hey, okay. Let's tr- go grab a sandwich. Wait, what the hell? What did you invest all that time for? Uh, so one thing about the, about the antics for lack of a better word. Uh, I think it's part of a much needed narrative in combative sports in that sometimes people uh, become too sportsmanlike where the rivalry and the heatedness and the grudge match feels more manufactured and thus more manufactured, less authentic. If you and I, let's just take you and I for an example. Obviously, where you have your own podcast, I have my podcast, MMA on the Rocks, Punching Panda. Everything coexists. But let's just say that we had an MMA podcast overlord who wanted us to really go at each other. Well, obviously, you and I have a you know good relationship, so you know you want your podcast to be the best. I want my podcast to be the best. There's no issue there. There's no real conflict, but there may be that MMA promoter or whoever it may be, the podcast overlord, who wants to say, oh, this is the grudge match of the century. These two are finally going to get in the same room and wonder what's going to happen. And so that's why I think that things like this happening, whether they are planned or unplanned, uh, definitely keeps the narrative of a grudge match or heated rivalry it definitely keeps it in the forefront of the people's mind, of the buying mm-hmm. public's mind, and it also gives it a bit more authenticity. Now, yeah. again, whether that is real or not or manufactured, to the public perception, because this isn't pro wrestling, this is all real. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think that it's very uh, interesting as far as the... Again, it's really hard to say. You know, I, I want the guys, like you said, I want the guys to be them. I want them to be themselves. If you show up in jeans, show up in jeans. Don't run a gimmick. Just be yourself and just let yeah. it happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and you make a great point. And at the end of the day... Um, yeah, so the, the antics and, and and everything like that, and if these guys are, are genuinely uh, bickering, whatever, it could make a better fight. It could not. And it, that... You made a good point because it made me think of the fight that was announced and canceled, which was Donald Cerrone and Robbie Lawler. So yeah. it, the, the fight fan in me is like, this could be the fight of the century. But then I thought like these guys are pals. There's going to be no drama, no buildup leading up to it. And it made me think like, eh, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm a fan of both of these guys and there's no there's no drama. They're not going to talk shit about each other. They both respect each other, um, you know, as opposed to guys who are going to throw water bottles and things like that. But um, one place we're not going to see any silliness and antics is probably the main event of uh, the fight night tomorrow night from Hidalgo, Texas, which is... um, you know being headlined by Dustin Poirier and Michael Johnson and unless you're a hardcore fan You're probably not hearing a lot about this fight because these are not really two guys who really kind of buy into all that nonsense These guys are not going to be chucking water bottles at the press conference or the weigh-ins or anything like that for sure
1: Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean these guys probably haven't even heard of this city in Texas So the last thing they want to do is cause issues there The main event, as you said, Dustin Poirier, Michael Johnson should be very good. Very interesting to see the co-main event, the return of Uriah Hall. What do you think about Uriah Hall as a fighter? I honestly feel as though he's a very mixed bag in that you don't know which Uriah Hall is going to show up.
0: Yeah, it it is and that's that's what makes him interesting. I mean, you get a guy who can who has the ability to knock out anybody in that division and I truly believe that. And then uh I mean, his last fight he lost a decision to Robert Whittaker, but he did have a really quick turnaround because he fought Gigar Musashi in Japan in September. And then turned around and fought Whitaker in November, and I respect him for turning around so quickly, but probably not the smartest idea for his career. Um. So, and then you know, in the UFC, he's he's only had you know decision losses really, uh, and they were they were closely contested. I think he's an exciting fighter. I was actually in Japan live at the Saitama arena when he, when he uh, knocked out Gegar Musashi with that crazy flying knee after getting completely dominated in the entire first round. And it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. So I'm, I'm a little bit partial to Uriah Hall when it comes to him as a fighter. And obviously he has by far the most notable knockout in ultimate fighter history with oh, that yeah, spinning yeah. wheel kick over, uh, uh Whoever that guy was, he kicked in the face, um, and and I think this is <laughs> I think this is a really interesting fight with with Derek Brunson. Well, what are your thoughts on it, Sebastian?
1: Uh, I gotta agree with you. I mean, you pretty much said it all. Uriah Hall. I think he's a dangerous fighter. This guy's five and four. Uh, we when we talk about his 2005, you know, the quick turnaround you know he had a fight in August and the uh, Gigar fight in September in Satama, and then obviously quick turnaround in Melbourne so I think it's not, it kind of sort of caught up with him not everyone can work at the Donald Cerrone pace yeah. not everyone can do what Donald Cerrone does the fact that he can do it I said it on the last episode this guy is like Wolverine from the X-Men yeah. he will take on all comers mm-hmm. he's not afraid he apparently doesn't get hurt and if he does he must heal really quickly uh Donald Cerrone is just an entirely different beast but yeah I'm excited for the uh, excuse me the Uriah Hall fight I'm excited for the main event uh we should see what happens but an event an event yeah that is coming up a monumental event a historic event yeah UFC 205 we already talked about Donald Cerrone and Robbie Lawler that was supposed to go down at Mm -hmm. 205 that's no longer happening. Kevin Gasolum stepping in. Yep. So it's going to be Gasolum and Cerrone at 205, along with Woodley and Wonderboy for the title. Wideman, Yoel Romero, 205 is shaping up MMA, the UFC more specifically. Finally coming back to New York, their last show was in Buffalo. This is the first show that the UFC is going to have in Madison Square Garden. I mentioned this before. Everyone already knows WSOF is having a show in Madison Square Garden prior to the UFC, but it's going to be in the theater, so it's not going to be in the arena proper. Yep. This is a big moment in MMA. This is a seminal moment. What are your thoughts on everything as far as it relates to... Dana White's hard on. <laughs> he finally busted a nut once the uh, New York news was mentioned. What do you think about MMA in New York again? 205, uh, possibly other big events happening at Madison Square Garden going forward?
0: Uh, I I agree with you with Dana busting his nut, but it may have been preemptively because I feel like a lot of your star power is not available for this card, which is a shame Because I was actually born and raised in New York, just 20 minutes north of New York City. Uh, I've seen countless events at Madison Square Garden. I think it's one of the greatest venues in the world. Uh, I've traveled a lot of places in my life. Uh, I've been fortunate to see a lot of things, see a lot of places. Uh, Like I said, I saw UFC at the Saitama Arena in Japan. Uh, So I, I am so excited for... UFC to finally be sanctioned by the New York Athletic Commission. It's been a long time coming. I've been hoping for it forever, personally. That's on a personal level. As far as how this card is shaping up, uh, I feel so-so about it. I mean, you got Tiago Alves fighting Ally Quinta, which great, you know, Ally Quinta is a New Yorker uh, from out on Long Island. Oh, I can tell.
1: Yeah, I can tell he was from Long Island. I actually saw... Alequinta fight live in Fairfax at the Patriot Center, where he cursed out the entire audience after <laughs> the fight. <laughs> after the fight, he won the fight. Everybody booed him, and we were. It's funny because the people in the audience were really booing the judge's decision. They weren't booing the fighter, but he took it personally. And uh, the guy's very outspoken, so I didn't oh, know yeah. he was from New York, but I know now. Uh, one of the things I, I just want to step back for a moment. Because I want you to paint the picture for those who haven't been to Madison Square Garden. I've been to New York a number of times and I've been outside Madison Square Garden. I've walked around, but I haven't really been inside. But what you said, a lot of people have said there's no other arena like it. So let's just take our listeners into Madison Square Garden, those who haven't been, those who probably never will. What is Madison Square Garden like? How is that different than Joe Blow Arena up the street?
0: So, I mean, New York City, I, I mean, you've been there. So you know what a vibrant and life-filled city it is. And Madison Square Garden is right in the heart of it. It's it's literally the heartbeat of Manhattan. Uh, and going in there, it's just dripping with so much history, so many legends, so many championships, so many iconic events. I mean um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the the Rangers, the Knicks uh, Billy Joel, Elton John, like whoever whoever else is, has been in there like a record number of times. there's a reason that these artists and everything and and major, Performers keep coming back in there. Kanye West just had like a some kind of record breaking contest, uh, concert, uh, two weeks ago or so. I'm not a big Kanye West fan, but what he did was he had a floating stage in the middle of Madison Square Garden. So basically people could fill in underneath it. Like they're always doing something spectacular. And when you walk in that building, you just get the feeling that. That comes over you. That spectacular things have happened in this place. It's really hard to describe unless you've been there. And I may be a little bit biased since I since I am a New Yorker. This is this is where I come from. It's like in my blood to 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 be a little bit biased towards it. But it really is an amazing place to see any type of venue. I've seen uh, you know concerts, sporting events, you name it. Um, John Lennon tribute concert. I've I've been to so many things at Madison Square Garden it's it's a spectacular experience every single time
1: well I hope our listeners get to experience I hope I get to experience sometimes <laughs> uh, sometime in the future I feel like the UFC because again to just step back to pro wrestling so WWE pretty much has Madison Square Garden on lock and they've yeah. had it since the 80s Vince McMahon has a deal with them to pretty much be the only pro wrestling show. At Madison Square Garden And I believe that they have some type of deal Where in order for them to Maintain that WWE has to perform At Madison Square Garden At least once a year Mm -hmm. Or once every two years Or whatever it may be So they have some type of agreement I'm very curious if the UFC will do that Because let's be honest here Now that MMA is legal in America Or excuse me Everywhere in America, New York being the last state uh, Bellator has enough money with Viacom behind them to run a show at MSG if they really wanted to.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that'll be worked out later. I don't think there's anything like that that's set in stone right now. I think the Garden, as a venue, will wait to see what the gate does. I'm sure it's going to be an incredible gate for the UFC. But considering how many iconic events they've had at Madison Square Garden from from boxing to WWE, I've actually been to a SummerSlam or two at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure they're used to, you know, collecting such an insane gate. I don't know how UFC is going to compare. I mean, obviously, we know that their gates and their pay-per-view buys are are nowhere near uh, WWE and, and, and professional boxing levels yet. Uh, I do think it will be
1: at one time. I feel the same way. I mean, anytime a card has Kevin Gaston announced as one of the first fights, I know it's going to be a tough sell. That is the worst person, in my opinion, to start naming as the guy you want people to get into the gate. Uh, This is how UFC 200 started. So that's why I want to kind of give the UFC the benefit of the doubt, because I know one of the Fertita brothers, I believe it was uh, Lorenzo. And obviously, they're not part of the UFC anymore. But they said when they run their show at Madison Square Garden, it's going to be bigger than UFC 100. It's going to be a UFC 100-like card. Mm-hmm. UFC 200 started off with some very questionable fight announcements. Where I said to myself, and I said to others, and Mo and I spoke about it. Where I said, wow, I cannot believe that this is UFC 200 and Kevin Gaslam versus Johnny Hendricks is one of the fights that these people want to throw together. And it's like, I couldn't yeah. believe it. And then, and slowly the card started coming out, and it got better and better and bigger and bigger, and some, some of the fights were taken away, some of the things were rearranged. But overall, it was a fairly decent card that didn't match the hype. I feel as though 205 will not have the name value, but it will have the work rate. Right now, aside from the Kevin Gaslam fight, the other two fights interest me. The other two fights, I feel, will be really entertaining. And Donald Cerrone, again, he's working with a broomstick, but (laughs) I think he's going to force him to pull out some magic. So just the three fights, again, is this, oh, my God, I can't believe Wonder Boy and Woodley's happening. I need to cancel everything. Absolutely not. Uh, But is this a historic event that I want to see? Yeah, and this is definitely going to be a fight, or excuse me, rather a card with good fights from start to finish.
0: Yeah, I I definitely hope so, Sebastian. I I really, really hope that they they add some star power to this. I mean, their big name stars are probably tapped out. You're not going to see Conor on this fight. Ronda Rousey's not ready for a comeback. Um you're not going to see a heavyweight championship fight because Stipe Miochik has said he wants to take some time off. It looks like Fabricio Verdum and Cain Velasquez are already slated for UFC 207. That seems all but a done deal. Uh, Weidman and Joel Romero is great. I'm a little disappointed because I really wanted to see Weidman rock hold too. Um,. And Rashad Evans and Tim Kennedy, this this fight really does nothing for me. It does nothing mm-hmm. for the middleweight division, in my opinion. Um, it's not like you can, you can boost either of these guys up in the rankings if they win. Um, Tiago Alves making his lightweight debut really doesn't do much for me. I don't even know how that guy's going to make weight. He struggled to make welterweight. While he was competitive, and now he's gonna—I mean, the guy used to cut 30 pounds to make 170. I don't know how he's gonna make 155, and and cut that extra 15 pounds. If he's still the same size, he's cutting 45 pounds, or does he lose some weight and then he's not gonna look the same? And uh, you know, w- one fight that I am kind of interested in that has been uh, casually announced is uh, Caitlin Chukagian and Liz Carmouche.
1: Liz Carmouche, yes.
0: Um, so, Caitlin Chukagan, a local girl here, she actually is from Jersey City, which is a stone throw away from where I am. Grew up in Jersey, trains at Henzo Gracie's in New York City. She's 8 uh Tough girl, wrestling background, and uh, Liz Karamouche, obviously top tier in the division right now. So, this is a very interesting fight, in my opinion, and probably the fight i'm looking forward to most based on the fights that have been announced so far
1: it should be very interesting because again it's one of those fights uh she's pretty young she's 27 years old Uh, as you said she's training out of the gracie gym the henzo gracie gym and this could be one of those fights again on a historic card the bantamweight division uh, always has these type of star making moments as we saw with Holly Holm. And then after that, the dethroning of Holly Holm with Misha Tate mm-hmm. and then Amanda Nunez coming in. So there's always movement in the right direction, uh, even with Holly Holm's last fight. You know, if people didn't know her opponent, they know her now. And in the UFC, so far undefeated, so 1 and 0 against Lauren Murphy. Uh, so yeah, Caitlyn coming in, she can make a big statement. And yep. whenever statements are made or you know magic can potentially happen, uh, it's always fun to see. So I hope to see the beginning of a rising star. Unfortunately, if this is the case, it will be against Liz Carmouche, who I feel her stock is going down. I feel as though her yeah. uh skill level is has peaked. It is what it is. It's where it's at is where it's at. And I don't think it's going to go any further. Uh, So this is the time for Caitlin to submit herself or excuse me, rather uh, cement herself as a top tier performer and begin moving up in the ranks and changing the conversations that we're having and the uncertainty that we're having uh, when it comes to the upper echelon of that division and just add a new dynamic, keep the blood fresh and everything moving forward.
0: Yeah. So Sebastian, I know that you're you, you follow women's MMA, obviously. Uh-huh. I, know, I know you're into Invicta and everything like this. So here's a question for you. If the UFC was... Now, I know they've unofficially added a 145-pound division. Let's say they can only add one more division to the UFC, 145 or 125. Which one would you want to see more and why?
1: Well, if we're going to uh, take a look at that, then we have to really say to ourselves, what division has more depth? And not only more depth, but more dynamic fighters. Uh, And not only more dynamic fighters, so we're not just talking about the skill level, but we're talking about the overall fluidity of the division. One of the things about light heavyweight that has become uninteresting is that none of the fights really matter outside of the top five. You have John Jones, DC, Gustafson, and really outside of those three, everything else, and Anthony Johnson as well, everything else is just suspect and doesn't really mean anything. So you have a bunch of guys uh, jumping ahead of each other, jumping back, but really they're washed up and the whole division is suspect. Again, outside of that top four or five guys. Uh, So if I were to build a division... And I had to choose between 145 and 115. I would go with 125 because I feel like we can create more stories. We can create more stars. Mm-hmm. We can do something interesting. With 145, we saw 145 in Bellator. It's non-existent. Marloose Conan had, what, two or three matches so far? Yep. We saw uh, what happened in Strike Force with Cyborg running through everyone. If UFC had... A 145 division. It will be the cyborg show. It will be very interesting as far as fast knockouts and squash matches are concerned. But if someone does beat cyborg, I don't see the division. Uh, anyone in 145 that would have that same spark and interest uh, to carry that division forward if cyborg decided to walk away from the sport or was injured and couldn't compete for whatever reason that may be, and so. When we start taking a look at the talent pool at 145, I don't see anyone that's so impressive that I would say, if Cyborg did not fight in that division, I want to see that division. Now, 125, I can think of some people. So, you know, that, that's where I go with. I'm, I'm t- thinking about longevity. Uh, obviously, if we're looking at a short-term fix and we're talking about what do we want for just 2017, bring in 145. But if you want a division that's going to last a few years and actually create some stars and have some longevity and it's not exposed, then, you know, the 125 would be the best bet.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with everything you just said. And I think 125 could could really be an exciting division because I feel like there are some girls who would struggle too much to make. 115 but they could definitely make their presence known at 125. I feel like Misha Tate is one of the names that comes to mind. Uh don't get me wrong, she's an elite fighter at 135, but I see her definitely dominating at at uh 125 if they were to make a flyweight division. Uh Jessica Andrade obviously, who is uh you know just recently dropped down to 115. I feel like that's a big cut for her and I feel like she would be more comfortable at 125. Uh, so the 125 division is something I would really look forward to see uh, being added to the UFC roster in the very near future. Uh, I, I think they need to make a couple of other weight class changes, but you know that could be a much longer discussion for another time.
1: Oh yeah, and plus just so much talent from Invicta because UFC obviously has a partner uh, relationship with Invicta, and so just raiding right their flyways. I mean, bringing in Little Warrior, the Happy Warrior, even bringing in someone like the Dreamcatcher. I think all of these fights will be really interesting and really give these women that stage in that platform. They already have, but let's make it bigger uh, because I feel like the narrative in sports right now uh, with Ronda Rousey uh, obviously bringing a lot of attention to WMMA, even more attention than Gina Carano. I feel now is the time to strike while her name is still in the mix because let's be honest, it's not going to be for a very long time. This is the time that you bring in the 135 division as we already saw with uh, what Dana White did. This is the time you bring in the strawweight division. This is the time you bring the flyweights in at 125 and you bring in Sarge and the Perfect Storm and all these people that are in that division uh, within Invicta. You bring them on to a bigger stage so you can keep the narrative of WMMA going and keep the excitement going. So, yeah, I would love to see a 125 division in the UFC. For sure. So, I feel like right now, we've said it all. We've (laughs) resolved all the problems in the world. We've discussed everything MMA. This was a successful navigation, a voyage. The ship is in the pier. Yeah. The anchor has settled. Bill, thank you.
0: Yeah. Cheers, Sebastian. I mean, thanks again for for <laughs> reaching out, and uh, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on the the Punching Panda, which uh, I would love to hear the story of how that came together. Maybe we'll save that oh, yeah. for for another episode. Um, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome collaborating on this. Um, I, I think we share a lot of similar opinions. I think it was definitely interesting to have our first conversation recorded on the air, so I think we're breaking new ground here in the MMA podcasting world, and uh, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to potentially working together again and chatting together again, and I'm looking even more forward to the rest of the six-pack of Switch Pack Oktoberfest that's sitting in my (laughs) fridge right now, uh, as I'm sure you're looking forward to cracking that s'mores porter that you got going on over there.
1: Oh, so delicious I am. And I hope my liver's ready. If people had a chance to listen to historic conversations for the first time people met, we're talking about peanut butter and jelly. We're talking about <laughs> Dana White and Frank Fertita, Millie and Vanilli. You have witnessed the first conversation and the first podcast between Punching Panda, MMA on the Rocks, and that about does it for us today here on the Punching Panda Podcast. Once again, joined by MMA on the Rocks, Bill. This is the Swapped Cast, Episode 7 of the Punching Panda Podcast. If you want to follow Punching Panda, you can follow us on Twitter at Triple P MMA. You can also Google us because we are on the Google Play Store. We are also on iTunes. Just Google Punching Panda Podcast.
0: And obviously, you know how to find MMA on the Rocks since that's where you are right now. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any other silly podcast app you might have. Also, MMAontherocks.com, at MMAontherocks, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want to yell at me or tell me I'm wrong or disagree with me, tell me what you're thinking and drinking. All right, till next time. Bye-bye.